You are listening to episode 210 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we dig into D&D with the mighty Misfits Menagerie in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Well, not really. They're just hanging out. Well, they as in just Coulter. So um, we'll go to that in just a second. But you can, of course, find the Game of Players podcast on your favorite social media websites. So at Twitter, or really on Twitter, which is at Game of Players. I always mess it up, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> on Facebook and Instagram at The Game of Players. Our out-of-date website, thegameoflators.com, which is kind of out-of-date, kind of not. Uh, and then you can, of course, find us on the podcast app you're listening to now, as well as other podcast apps that are out there. Uh, go ahead and leave us a five-star review, 10 if you would like, that would even be better. Um, that means two reviews. And uh, that's about it for that end. Uh, Coulter, we're happy to have you on the line today. Excited to be here. Uh, Coulter here, as as was stated, I'm one of the DMs and players in the Mighty Misfit Menagerie podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, you can find us at MightyMMCast.com or at Mighty Misfit Menagerie, wherever podcasts and uh, recordings are sold. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're super stoked to have you. Ryan and I every now and then do like a D&D all day, every day type of episode. So that's where I'll this kind of comes into play, uh, which is really just all things D&D. And to start off our episode, uh, we like to normally talk about recent pickups and what we're currently playing. So I'll kick it off. Ryan will go next and then that'll give Coulter enough time to kind of digest exactly how this works. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll go from there. So pickups for me this week. Uh, I actually didn't have any like major gaming pickups. Um, but I have had my eye on quite a few things. So with Black Friday, window sales, shopping counts. Oh yeah, window shopping is definitely counting right now. So actually, no, I did have a pickup. I had it yesterday. I completely forgot. Uh, I had my five dollar GameStop coupon, and I went ahead and picked up Lost Judgment because it's on sale for like twelve ninety nine there, and I got it for like seven ninety nine after my coupon. So Not bad that worked nice. out on PS five, right? A seven ninety nine PS five game two years later. That's it's either a really bad game or it was just a hell of a discount. Yeah. Uh, but window shopping wise, I've got my eye on Bug Snacks PS5. Um, looking on eBay for that one because I can't find it anywhere else. Uh, I have my eye on Breath of the Wild, although I'm heavily considering not picking that up because it's normally like 40 bucks a target and the big discount is it's $30 now. So <laughs> really, does that matter? Um, Sackboy's Big Adventure. 20 bucks right now on ps5 and then uh god what was the other one there's another 20 dollars game i don't remember it's nothing important obviously i shouldn't get it uh but there's another a few other 20 dollars game oh cowabunga collection for ninja Turtles. oh yeah that's, that's a good the one. other one yeah so those are 20 bucks a pop uh right now you can find all these sales right now you don't have to wait in line or anything anymore which is fantastic uh especially when it's kind of getting a little cold in arizona right now so i don't want to be sitting at 40 something degrees waiting in line for you know savings of 20 bucks um but that's it for pickup wise gameplay wise i did play claire extended a little bit more on the playstation nice. is that version. holding up good you know it's actually not too bad so like last night i was kind of thinking oh do i continue playing this do i not and i think it was mainly because i kept getting lost in the game but then i realized like even if i got lost and even if my character died anything i picked up along the way just routes back to me 
like after the characters died. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like I traversed all of this area. It remains on the map. My character died. I go back to my save point and I just kind of continue progressing. So that for me kind of helped a little bit because that game is pretty difficult in terms of uh, navigation. Um, it's really just this huge maze and you, all you're really going by is a little map and little lines to kind of enter doors. And then some doors get blocked off, some don't. And it's honestly a bit of a pain in the ass. So uh, went ahead and progressed through that pretty nicely into the cafeteria section of a game. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how far that is. I thought I would have it done within a week, but having a child kind of, you know, messes up plans on that. Uh, progress. That and uh, we played a lot of Beat Saber this week. So yeah. we, pick, we picked up the Imagine Dragons uh, set. We picked up one of the mixtapes that has uh, One Republic and um, Limp Bizkit on there. And... God, what was the other one? My wife got some other random mix on there. Oh, I'm and uh, you, you got to get the BTS set. It's the best. Uh, I know. I need to get it. We also got the Fallout Boy set on there, too. So, you know, not exactly my favorite type of music to listen to, but for Beat Saber purposes, it works. And See, since it's on PS4, I don't have really flexibility to put in my own songs. That's the thing about the BTS set. Like, it's it's music that, like, you can really dance to, whereas, like, trying to, like, play beat saber lincoln park it's just like hitting a wall of <laughs> notes coming at you there's no there's no like rhythm to like what you're doing in like a dancey kind of way like i feel like way more into it when i'm doing the bts songs. it depends on how you interpret it though so like lincoln park when i'm playing i'm interpreting it as if i'm playing drums so when you kind of look at the notes from that perspective they're really drumming notes and so that's that movement kind of flows with that. And it's the same thing kind of like with fallout boy and such, but fallout boy, you more so follow the, the lyrical aspects because those high and low pitches that he has uh, mm -hmm. as he sings. And so that kind of helps that flow a little bit better as well. Whereas some of the more techno stuff that's on there um, is, you know, very clear what you're playing to. Right. Have you and tried like the 360 ones yet? I don't think they have it on uh, PlayStation four or five. Oh, yeah, they have. I, I've never been able to do it, but Drew's done it where they have. It'll be like 360. Yeah, I'm not Lots sure. All I know, though, is I've <laughs> I've gotten good enough to where I'll play like hard is kind of getting to where I can get S ranks on hard. And uh, I decided, oh, let me try online and see how I compare against other players. And either they were children or I'm just very good now. <laughs> and uh, so that yeah. uh, that online play wasn't more than you bargained for yet. On the no, <laughs> you know what sucks is that song is actually not on the uh, soundtrack. Oh, <laughs> I'm so that was like the one thing I was looking at Fallout Boy. I'm like, okay, if that song is on there, it's what Sugar We're Going Down Swinging. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was like, okay, that has to be on there. There's no way it's not. That's like, like that's like their the first. Song. Yeah, yeah, that's their first hit. And then I get on there and it's not. I'm like, what the hell is this? It's like Immortals <laughs> and uh, what is it? Dance, dance. I think is what's called. Like. Yeah, there's other songs that are recognizable, but like that's the one song. Like if there's yeah. one song you can put on here, this is it. It's kind of yeah. like the Linkin Park version of the uh, track pack doesn't have crawling on there. Like, how do you not have crawling on there? I mean, that's like the <laughs> yeah, one but it's big got song. faint. It's Faint's yeah, I know it's movie. it's got some good songs, but like when you can have bleed it out on there, but you can't have crawling. I'm like, come on. Like, and I yeah. love Bleed It Out. It's my favorite, and along with Paper Cut, which is also on there. But there's some songs I just really wish would have made it to the track pack, and it just sucks that they're not. Like licensing um, costs, you think? Maybe it's yeah, just like, like maybe how kind of good of a song they could make it at the high end. Like, maybe if they can't make the, like, challenging song. 
hard Look, enough. Dude, or there's people on PC putting in like Mozart and Beethoven. So I yeah. mean, I don't, you know, I don't think it's more so an issue on that as it is, you know, what Coulter said, probably licensing issues that are tied to it. Um, Cause, but there are hybrid theory songs on there. So that's where I'm. They just charge sure. different per track. Licensing I don't know. Fees. I have no idea to be honest. Like I didn't really dive we into it. We need somebody but... to get to the bottom of these answers. We need somebody to put more rock music on Beat Saber is what we need. Like, that's what I need. Because <laughs> I mean, Beat Saber is so old at this point, <clears throat> isn't it? Yeah, but it's still going well. Like, it's, it's alive it's and well. I guess it's the killer app for VR. I mean, dude, it's badass. Like, when you consider everything tied to it, like, it's, you get exercise in it. Like, there's legit songs where, like, you're doing squats and stuff midway yeah. through. It's, it's yeah. absolutely <laughs> insane. Um, once you get up to, like, past hard mode and expert mode, it's insane. Like, how much you work, not work out necessarily, but your arm movements and stuff. Like, you do work up quite a sweat. So, I think it's got that going forward. It's obviously got new music. They just had Lizzo on there. The weekend just got added recently. So, they're adding new track packs. It's still popular. Okay. Um, I think it's more popular on Oculus and such than it is on, um, obviously, on the PS4. Uh, but, you know, That's it is what it is. I've played it so far. I, yeah. we, I haven't been able to play it in like six months because my Oculus took a dive about six oh. months ago. So, <laughs> working on getting that fixed. Gotcha. Is it like the old Oculus Quest? You got to hook up to the PC? Uh, no, it's the, I think it's the two. So it is like two? standalone, but okay, yeah. yeah, that's the one I got. I, I use mine every so often, not, uh, not as much as I, I wish I was using it, but I just like, oh. I haven't been like, oh, I'm going to drop another like 40 bucks for like a whole nother thing because I, I just haven't, I'm sure there's lots of free experiences on there and things to like check out, like the VR chat and stuff like that and things. But I just, I don't know. I'm. I'm not really looking at getting into multiplayer VR solo. So it's like, I need somebody else to like go into the VR space and explore new things with. Cause like, it seems like that's the most enjoyable part about VR is doing it together. Well, that's why I yeah. like the, uh, the PlayStation version of VR so much. Cause it populates up on the screen, right? I don't know if Oculus quest is able to stream it to the TV, but no. um, yeah. So like, while we're playing, my wife can see exactly every single thing that I'm doing on there. And yeah. if we're playing horror games or anything like that, like she's right there with me in the entire process of that. So like oh, if I'm freaking great. out, she's freaking out, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot to go for it in that respect. Uh, whereas I do kind of question the whole like Oculus aspect with it being standalone. Like you just, I don't know, to your point, it just doesn't feel like you can enjoy it with somebody as much. Yeah, you're people in can't that game. see what you're seeing. It loses kind of half the, the fun of like, doing it at a party or something yeah I will, exactly i will say on that same note when we very first got it we gave it to a friend to try beat saber like on our back patio as we were all sitting there tried to continue our conversation as nothing was going on but he looked so ridiculous doing it standing there alone in the middle of our yard that it stopped everything just to watch him dancing to nothing <laughs> it's still its own show yeah yeah it's funny well, that's uh, that's it on my pickups and currently playing. Ryan, I guess you kick it off next. Uh, okay, so I did get to check out um, Game of the Year snub Vampire Survivors for the first time. Uh, that came out on Game Pass recently, so uh, did not get the nomination people were hoping it would, but that's all right. It's just kind of like this fun indie game where, like, I, have you guys ever played like a clicker game or just like a AFK game where you don't really have to do much? The game kind of half plays itself. When you say clicker, my mind immediately went to Last of Us. 
Oh, oh I went to Cookie Clicker. <laughs> oh, so yeah, we are, we yeah, are just far like, off. Just like one of those kind of games where you really don't do much. So Vampire Survivors, like you're just like a little character on a screen and just mobs of enemies just keep generating and you just walk around and auto attack. When you kill things, you pick up experience and then you get upgrades and it's all like kind of Castlevania themed. So you'll get like a whip or a cross or an axe or a throwing knife or whatever. But then as you level them up, they just get more and more ridiculous. So you're just throwing like a wave of knives like every second immediately in front of you. Or like the whip swings back and forth and hits on your sides. Or some will have a radius around. So they all have different kind of attack angles and damage and kind of side effects. And you just kind of accrue these uh, like power ups as you go. You keep getting money. Monsters keep spawning and spawning more and more. There's like little objective things on the map that you can go to but for the most part the whole game is just moving and strategically moving around kiting enemies trying to like just get them in the edge of your damage range so you can get through the swarm safely without losing all your health and trying to get like chicken drops to heal your health up again and stuff it's a very light fun game but it's just so grindy because you're trying to just survive as long as you can like maybe 15 20 i think i think the game just kills you at 30 minutes like i don't think you can do more than 30 minutes unless there's a way to like kill that grim reaper that comes after you which i haven't been able to do but you just kind of get money and get unlocks and get more characters and more items that can drop and there's no reward. It's just doing it for the sake of doing it. But man, it is at a fun hole to fall into for a little bit. If Harry Potter has told me anything, it's you need an invisibility cloak to not die by the Grim Reaper. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could be. Maybe yeah. I just like there's like a hundred different drops or something you can unlock. And I've only got like not even half of them, I don't think. So may, there may be way more in this. I know there's tons more characters and stuff I haven't found, which is weird because there's only like six levels. But I I don't know. You kind of have to like just figure your way out through it. It's it's a fun, weird little game. And I guess it's generating like a bunch of clone games and it's been very popular. It's like, I think, the highest rated Steam game this year, mm-hmm. which is why I was joking. Like a lot of people have been like, oh, Vampire Survivors game of the year. Um, But other than that, I did get Pokemon Violet yesterday or Friday launch day. First thing in the morning, I was there in line at Target with about a dozen or more other people. It took them about like a half hour to even like get the shipment out of the back and start checking people out. But I got this like cute little statue that has like all the starters on it. I had already been swimming in spoilers for like as much as I could handle for the weeks before. So I knew everything going in and that Violet was the only choice and Fue Coco was the only choice. and. I, I made all the right decisions. <laughs> I think the right decision is to go to Scarlet. No. <laughs> so the um, performance issues, that's the big thing everybody's kind of talking about right now. This game run like garbage. Uh, you're like sit in the classroom in a scene and it's not like the big open world. You're just in the classroom and like in the second row back, everybody's legs are just like, like a slideshow with like the animation they're just not smooth at all um i got to this part without giving 
much spoilers away where you gotta like go find some pokemon and it has like a couple of scenes that play out through this encounter so it's more elaborate than just like oh here's a pokemon you fight it and in these scenes like all of like the the health bar in the battle is like here and then all of a sudden glitched out and mirrored again over here and like everything's just going like really poorly for like all these cut scenes that are happening it's all glitchy and juddery and just it's not good it's and not no good. voice acting there's no voice acting like there's one part where it just stood out to me so much where you just hear this like crisp recorded applause <laughs> over a text box and i'm just like they recorded applause but like there's no voice acting in this whole game like are they still doing the little like chittery chibi sound as it like plays out across the oh no uh, new pokemon games don't even have that no like, yeah they just have like lips moving and text yeah that's it i mean I, I'm, I'm just baffled like st like to this day and age how you cannot have voice acting in these pokemon games is insane and it's not like anybody's saying anything of consequence like most no, of the lines don't need to be recorded like it's fine that when you're when you're running through the world now, like you don't have to go up to every NPC mm -hmm. to hear what they don't have to contribute to the world with their <laughs> thoughts. You could just see it over their heads. They're just, if there's two people talking, you see what both of them are saying and you don't have to talk to them. That's great. Uh, you don't have to go into every, or you can't go into every house now. And it was kind of frustrating at first trying to run up to the houses, but I guess they put doormats in front of the ones that you can go in so you can identify. <laughs> well, it's a welcome mat. You're not welcome in the house if there's no welcome mat. So it's like, it's lame that you can't go in all the buildings, but I don't think you've always been able to go in all the buildings. Like, I definitely remember buildings without doors on the fronts of them. Yeah. So I guess that's fine. Like, it's not a big loss. In fact, like, I think it's kind of a, a bonus because it's kind of awkward the opening house your starter house like it seems really big like but there's just like there's like a loft room upstairs and then like this huge living room with like a you know open concept kitchen attach and it's just like it seems like too much space for a house this size on the inside like maybe they've kind of lost the sense of scale like even sitting at like the desk in the bedroom, I'm like, this looks like giant's furniture. She's using like just the edge of the seat. Like she's at like a monster truck rally or something. <laughs> yeah, that's where the budget went. Developing the bigger house and the graphics tied to that instead of putting it into voice acting. Yeah. Exactly Take a pace for the whole told. seat, but you only need the edge. That's what they're going for here. But you know, the thing is, despite all of that, it's super enjoyable like honestly i was so worried and critical about what an open world pokemon would be like because i was like okay in breath of the wild there's all kinds of stuff that you do in the open world you're like sliding on your shield and you're getting these random things and doing these random puzzles and doing this random this and like there's things that are keeping you occupied whereas in pokemon you're just running around and there's Pokemon and it doesn't seem like enough to carry it. But honestly, I'm having fun just running around and fighting Pokemon. Like the auto battle thing that they made is pretty easy to just grind up a little XP. Like you get like maybe a quarter of what you would get for actually doing a fight, but everybody gets it. 
And if you do a type advantage, it just like takes like a half a second. You just kill that one. And normally they'll be like, oh, look, it's like five little like deerlings here. And then you just send out like your fire guy and just like slaughter them all. And they just disappear one by one as he just destroys them. So like the ability to kind of not have to engage in constant battles like you don't even have to do the trainer battles you have you go up and talk to them to trigger them now um having like the legendary pokemon is like your bike early on that you're able to get around faster um the number of pokemon that are available like in the early area it's like i've caught a ton of different things from a ton of different generations and I feel like especially since I haven't really been engaging in Pokemon in so long, I'm able to come back and more Pokemon are new to me because I've missed those generations. So having them in there, it's like I don't necessarily need to just look for only new Pokemon from this new generation. Um, the whole Terra type thing that they have where your Pokemon has the Terraform and that can have a whole different element. So you can have like, uh, you know, a grass guy that's a water guy when he's in his terraform. And that makes it so there's, I guess, a lot more options for people. I don't know if that's something that's really going to come into play for me. I'm not going to like be online battling people trying to trip them up with what my terotypes are. But it does give like more uniqueness. And overall i just i can't believe how much i enjoy and how much positive i have to say about it in spite of the overwhelmingly in your face technical issues it's just it's so conflicting and the more i think about it the more i'm like you know a strong 70 for this is probably just where it's gonna sit because i think it's like it's hard to take down a good idea for poor performance. Like to too much detriment, like, but I hope that they could learn the lesson, but I just think that like how it's tied in with the anime and the card game and the timelines, like they're just never going to, or want to be able to give it the time and attention it needs to like be a fully funded kick-ass thing that needs five years of development time. They just need to sell more merch in the next three years. Yeah. Do you, so, with it having just come out on Friday, like, is there talk of like patches to try and fix performance, or is it? I mean, that's with the day it? one patch. So, oh, I mean, God. I know that from what I from what I can tell, like, people hope that that'll happen, but I haven't heard most of the people I listen to talking about it like it's an an inevitability. I don't know how much patching. Nintendo really does with their stuff. I mean, obviously they can because everybody else does it these days, but like how much time can they really give to patching this? If they're already probably working on pushing DLC for it and then have to jump onto the next one right away so that it's not in the same state. You know, I just don't know if they've got the resources that they really feel like they need to give to it like they could build a team the size of anything it's the most successful media franchise ever to exist in the world it's made more money than anything else ever 
I thought that belonged to Grand Theft Auto. No, that that's the most single selling game for GTA five. Oh, OK, but like Pokemon eclipses like Harry Potter and Star Wars and all that. Yep. Well, it's got a lot going for it. Uh, honestly, I don't think Nintendo is going to do anything about those technical issues unless it impacts like overall sales. So if it's, it's not too late. Like if people are going to pull yeah. the trigger like, yeah. Everybody's going to want it. And I feel like the discourse of it being like, if you're, if it's not a deal breaker for you, then you might as well get it because you're going to have fun. Yeah. Well, Coulter, how about you? Pickups currently playing. Oh gosh. Um, so I, I've been a lot on the, uh, the board game and like indie TTRPG side recently. Um, I started trying to get into, um, zero dawn, uh, with the new one coming out with West coming out. So I started playing the first one because I'd never played it. And we just had a PS5. Like we got one, I think a year ago. Um, but then that got put on the back burner because of the new Breath of the Wild coming out next year. So I was replaying Breath of the Wild to be up to speed for the next one on that. And then that all got put aside because we started new TTRPGs. So it's been a lot of just trading off one game for another game without getting terribly far in any of them. Uh, but those are the two kind of like on consoles that I'm, I'm working through right now. Um, we have friends that uh, kind of collect board games and I'm starting to work on getting my own collection going as well, but they've been at it for years. So there's just walls of games. Every time we come over, it's something new that I haven't played before. Um, the last one that I really liked was a Kickstarter that I think just released a couple months ago um, called Endless Winter. Ooh. Um, it's like a Paleolithic era uh, board game with deck building, um, there's some kind of Catan-esque uh, like village expansion. Um, there's a bunch of different ways to win because you can get points through collecting animals, through killing animals, through um, having your villages get bigger, things along those lines. Um, so we just played the expansion of that last week, and it's kind of become a favorite of the group because everybody has their own strategy to try and move forward. What's um, that one called again? Endless Winter. All right. I'm going to put that one it's down. Like Ice Age theme. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at the Kickstarter now. I like the artwork on it. That's the thing. All these like new indie TTRPGs all have like the best art. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That's I'm I'm loving on the TTRPG side of it. Um, which like obviously with board games, you're going to be looking at a little bit more money because you're getting something physical um, yeah. that you can just get the PDF version of something to figure out if you like it before you actually order a hard copy of the book. Oh. Um, on the, uh, the TTRPG side, uh, I've been working on getting into Wander Home and Tales from the Loop are like the two most recent ones I bought. Okay. Oh, a couple books. All yeah. Right. So this one is just super cute. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a little Redwall-esque and it's like a, a very rules-light kind of system. Um, but yeah, you get like... Uh, Oh shoot! I was trying to find some of the illustrations in here that are neat. I'll I'll send you pictures or something afterwards. But um, you're basically playing it as like a cute animal in a world that's just been ravaged by war and has recently come to peace. <laughs> so there's all these like haunted backstories of what people have survived. Uh, but now, you know, you're just hanging out with your little fox friends. Uh, What's that one? This is called a uh, wander home. Wander home. Yeah. I'm gonna play a little hedgehog whose family was slaughtered. All right. I love it. <laughs> Wielding okay, the sword Sonic. of his former oppressor. <laughs> uh, 
and then Tales from the Loop is the other one that I got um, semi recently. It's been out for a while, but um, yeah, kind of eighties. If the eighties had dramatically better technology, uh, taking place in a little um, island in uh, in Scandinavia, um, where a lot of the like research on that technology is being done. So it's kind of a kids on bike, uh, kids on bikes vibe. Yeah, but oh, I'm just looking been... at some of the art from Wander Home, and yeah, man, this this is solid. It is this looks I, good. It, it's very like um, it feels like it'd be relaxing almost. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's pretty cool. Oh, it's like forty five bucks for a book. That's not bad at all. And it's like it's like a pretty solid book too. Good hardcover. Um, the jacket's nice. <laughs> yeah, it looks really nice. How are the how did the rules work in a game like that? I mean, obviously we play a lot of D and D on our side, but we don't necessarily dive too much into like other types of TTRPGs. Yeah, and that's um, this one I've only read. I haven't gotten to play yet, so that's what I'm trying to get uh, get a chance to DM this one. Um, but you can play it without a DM, uh, so oh. you have um, like basically points that you can spend to make something happen uh, so either there is one person that's not in the scene describing what's going on and people interacting with that or if everybody's in a scene at a time they'll kind of take turns taking up the mantle of playing that outside world um, oh. if you each of the uh the like classes um is a playbook and it has different actions that that playbook takes that get you points so like one of them is like a, a rep scallion so if you do something that causes mischief then you can get a point to use towards the narrative so that kind of a that kind of idea it's i don't there's not dice in this one so i would miss the dice aspect of it um, yeah. but i do like uh kind of having things that like keep you to a character that may actually be like the detriment you're not you're not working to win you're working to tell the story kind of deal yeah Ryan, I don't know if we can have Coulter Hahn again. He's going to make me spend like a hundred bucks on this spot here. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, this Endless Winter looks awesome. Obviously, that sounds very appealing as well. I'll have to look into doing some research on both of those and you know, seeing which one I want to get or if not both. And There's so much good stuff out. out there. It's like the market is just ripe with you know oh, yeah. finding a system that's right for you. And that's the thing like you know, it's always good to have people who experience more things because like we're pretty much talking about D&D &D if we're talking tabletop. But, you know, having other magic. people on that have had, you know, experiences and other things. Well, yeah, I guess magic, too. But, you know, there's there's so many other systems that I'm never going to try because I'm just not going to take the time to get a book, learn a whole new system and then teach it to people. That takes like a talent. Do you guys do a lot of like different games with your your group like you say like every week you're doing something different um we we're kind of actually getting kind of a in a circle now when we very first started out like three years ago we were alternating starfinder um which i don't know if y'all have played like pathfinder before but D, &D in space um mm. world of darkness uh which we've had kind of as a modern setting a little horror based game with uh d10s uh and then D, &D. So we were alternating between those each week. Um, we do two a week. So do like D&D &D Starfinder, Starfinder World of Darkness, World of Darkness D&D, &D, continue the rotation. Um, and then we got into just playing D&D &D for about two years. And as of uh, this week, we started World of Darkness. And next week, we're starting Starfinder and kind of getting back into that rotation of different games. So I think people miss the difference. Uh, like us playing it missed the difference in genres and the difference in systems. So coming nice. back around, that's cool. 
And then you've been still running your um, into uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight campaign, right? Yes. Yeah, we wrapped up a week before last. So I just put up the final episode that the campaign is is capped and set aside. Um, we're doing like a, we do DM interviews at the end of each of them for whoever was running the campaign. Um, so we're working on recording that this week and getting that put up for kind of questions and, and how the prep went. Uh, so funny enough, I'm I'm in the middle of Wildly on the Witchlight right now, not running it, but playing oh, awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah, so we just got to Agdon's hideout. Okay. Recently, so completely raided that, stole all of their stuff, killed their dragon, took all of that stuff, and uh, we're, we're on our way right now. I think we're going back to that dragon Serastes. I think is his name. So yeah, the uh, the like the fairy dragon guy. Yeah, yeah or... no, it's um no the fairy dragon is with us. It's a bigger oh, like. Nice ancient dragon guy I, I don't remember his name i think it's serastes um but yeah we're on our way back there but we're probably i don't know about four or five sessions into like the actual Feywild scene right now nice. yeah so it's a lot of fun when so. when we had that one happen and like for for anybody that hasn't played wild beyond the Witchlight, it's kind of like whimsical it doesn't require combat you can have combat but it's it's written in a way that you can avoid it if you want to um and we had the exact scene that you were at at Agadon's hideout, and our druid turned into a spider and bit his head off. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> so whimsical and sweet. <laughs> like, so sure. we uh, we bound and gagged him, and then I wanted to <laughs> kill him with my character, uh, but our DM was like, "No, you just like." Well, actually, he has that scarf, right? Yeah. And uh, so I guess anybody that's out there, spoiler alert. Um, so he's got that scarf, and I was like, "Oh well, I want to." take it off he's like oh well it seems to be like sewn on so i'm like i don't give a shit i'm just gonna rip it off like if his throat tears open that's cool and he's like no the rest of the group is like no we can't do that we gotta let him live <laughs> we're and good then, guys we're good guys <laughs> everyone's like we're good guys we can't do that but yet we killed the baby dragon afterwards so um <laughs> you know he i just some you lose some <laughs> yeah yeah so the best part about it i i was this close man this close to convincing the group because i um i'm playing in that campaign as a um uh, what do you call little rabbit guys? I don't know. Herringon. Yeah. So I'm playing as a Herringon artificer. And nice. so I'm able to make bags of holding and other stuff. So I'm the only one in the group of a bag of holding. And I'm just like, guys, like he's knocked out. It'll be easier if we just carry him in our bag of holding. And then everybody just kind of thought for a second. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. Wait a second. He can't breathe. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I was trying to be sneaky about suffocating him. <laughs> so it didn't work out. But uh I guess that'll let's dive into our first topic here, which is, you know, what is your favorite campaign that you have run or played in? So we'll kick it off to you, Culture's guest. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, played in my favorite campaign was uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist um, and run as a DM uh, was Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Um, I love uh, city settings and there's not a lot of city settings in D&D. You know, you get some things in, um, you know, Baldur's Gate, but then you end up in hell for the rest of it. You get some things in the wilderness and exploring, but actually getting a whole campaign just set in a city with all of what that entails and how it moves on its own, has its own life. Things are changing around you regardless of your choices um, was was really refreshing after playing for a while and not having that kind of setting um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden was my favorite to run because of the stakes uh, I think while Beyond the Witchlight which, while I loved running that one I think one of my challenges with it was finding stakes and finding things to kind of like motivate them and not that you have to always be afraid of your character dying but like 
that is a helpful motivator. Uh, so with Rime of the Frostmaiden, it really bonded the group together a lot more. Having that risk, having lost a couple characters throughout, um, kind of made them treat things more seriously um, and like treat each other's characters with more value. Um, so that was neat to see in that campaign. And that's what I'm, I'm kind of looking for in the next one that I'm going to run is to how to input those stakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, so you bring up Baldur's Gate as one, and that's the only one I've actually run all the way through. Um, other, otherwise I've done like some small little one shots and, Battle Royales and everything that I've set up and experimenting on that. And I'm prepping right now to run Strixhaven. Uh, so that's oh, the next awesome. one I want to run. Yes, that should be some some fun. But Baldur's Gate was one that, you know, you definitely bring up the city aspect where, you know, with Avernus where you have Baldur's Gate and then you go to hell, right? So I, like you, like that city aspect. So for me personally, um, I really treated the city with like a lot more to it in terms of what you could do. And I spent a lot of time with the group in Baldur's Gate to, you know, kind of develop their characters, develop you know, the interactions they had, having some general fun. So some little homebrew pieces in there really tied into dark secrets. So that way there was a lot more of in the city and then also had them traverse out the candle keep. So I ran, well, you go to candle keep obviously, but I took that and use a candle keep uh, supplement book, one of all the little campaigns. And I actually ran something out of that. So basically one shotted within the actual Avernus uh, descent into Avernus uh, campaign. Awesome. And then same thing with El Terrell kind of treated that in the same respect. Like, let's just keep this as, even though it's a city, it's a dying city. There's still aspects. So when you have like, you know, shops being run, well, now there are shops that are being run by devils who are, you know, trying to make profit and uh, you know, different creatures that are eating different people out in the middle of nowhere and people hidden out and like doing like small little shops out of their own like hideouts and such. So that's kind of how I treat that too, just because, you know, you're right with the city component. It's just nice to have so many different elements. And when you get into like this vast space, like an Avernus or wild beyond the Witchlight, where it's like this open world type concept, it's so hard yeah. to like, you know, kind of keep that focus for people and kind of have a, you know, a, objectives that they can reach within the city itself and in such close proximity when you start getting into that wider expanse. And so there were times like in Avernus where I felt like I could lose a few people and I had to homebrew certain elements in to kind of like recapture that attention. That definitely makes sense. Yeah, kind of like when you can just go anywhere, then they will just go anywhere. <laughs> like... yeah. I, I would say my favorite campaign though, and I've brought this up on a few of our D&D episodes, probably the one we ran with Ryan, actually. Uh, we oh, played, yeah, it was a lot of fun, Ryan. Uh, well, I had a lot of fun, that's for sure. So I, uh, Ryan, let me get away with so much crap in his campaign. Um, it was, uh, what was it called again? It's the, uh, out, of out of the, the abyss. abyss. Out of the Abyss, yeah. And so Ryan, in that campaign, I was able to ride a dragon and completely destroy a city uh, with a dragon and manipulated it, which I still don't know how the hell I got such high dice rolls. And it's not like <laughs> it, it's not like it was virtual and like I'm like, oh, yeah, I rolled a 24, but it was like a 12. No, like Ryan was straight up next to me. He's like, how the hell do you? He's like he was going to kill you. And he rolled like dog shit and just got like a five to your 22 yeah. on your you know, like just stupid <laughs> stuff. And so there were so many times I should have died in that campaign. And I think I died three times. And somehow the group kept bringing me back, which was always fun uh, to just create more shenanigans. But <laughs> I think the the big reveal, Ryan, was my favorite in that. And I'll always remember that piece where, you know, I, I destroyed the entire city where the Dwegar live uh, with a dragon and then fled and uh, somehow was able to get out of the, the Lake of Darkness, whatever the lake is in the Underdark. And uh, 
it was probably about two months where I was not active in the campaign, just watching people and Ryan, like without me knowing what was happening, just has these like scarred up burned Dwegar that like approached the rest of the group and are like, you burned the entire city. Like you're at fault. You must pay for this. And everyone just kind of, everyone in the room just kind of looks at me like, what did you do? <laughs> oh, look, if this has been the consequences of my actions. <laughs> uh, it was best thing ever. I, was, I swear, uh, man. That was so much fun. Yeah, that was that was my that was where I really ground my teeth as a DM was having to deal with John. <laughs> <laughs> I um, you know, I I've got the Waterdeep Dragon Heist book here too. I've not ran it or played in it, but I got that book because I thought it sounded like so fun as like a setting and I like how versatile it is, how it's got like the setting at like every season and like there's multiple villains and ways to run it and it really seems like it would be a great resource to use for that i've always really wanted to do more of like an urban campaign but just haven't really had the chance um my favorite campaign that i ran is definitely my like first real DD campaign that i tried to do uh it was like a homebrew setting that I was doing in my own world that I made with like everything going on. It was um, the hex files. And I had my, uh, my crew, they were all in a uh, organization kind of like the X files where they would be kind of like researching, you know, whatever was going on for like the first one was like a, a whodunit werewolf mystery in like a little town they had to try to like find out what was going on who was the werewolf and i just i had so much fun using my imagination and getting into D and really expressing a lot of things in ways that i hadn't like i'm not huge on music but like i definitely found like a lot of like music tracks that i like to use to like kind of like punch a moment or like use as like uh i don't know like I thought about it very episodic, like a TV show. So like, what do I want the outro credit music to be for this episode to leave like that impression for the next one? And I really just kind of that first go with D&D and being able to find all those different ways to incorporate, you know, I'm going to find these pictures on Pinterest that I really like, and I'm going to draw this cavern on a whiteboard you know, but I'm going to try to do it so that it's a little bit 3D looking. And I finally got all my little, you know, magnetic whiteboard push pins of enough different colors so that, you know, you could tell who's who, you know, just all the, the building up and getting together and just running that was really, I don't know. I haven't been able to go back and run another campaign that went as long as that that was like 25 sessions or something oh nice that we got to and i was like i haven't been able to get there because after you get a campaign that goes you can run into so many like all right we played five sessions and somebody had to take two weeks off and fuck it (laughs) burn it all down we'll do something else I've gotten to a rule when when I'm running because we have like Ryan, you'll be in the strict saving campaign and we've got see my wife, another friend. So we'll have five people total in that campaign. And I got to a rule at this point where it's like, you know what, if one person can't show up, I'm still running it because I'm not going to go into a situation where it's like 
okay, you can't make it this week. The next person can't make it the next week. Next, And then we're a month out, right? Like I'd much rather just run the campaign. If you're out, you're out. We continue on and I'll just update you and say, here's exactly what happened. And then the next time you come in, you're already set. You're good to go. And it, it allows those campaigns to just continue going because, you know, you lose that momentum. People lose interest. You forget what happened and it's hard to get reengaged with it on a week to week basis. Yeah. Like that's what I found is most helpful now. The we've been we've been really lucky with the same group kind of being together for so long. Like um, I think, and these are of course two hour sessions. So it'd be a bit shorter if they were you know four hour sessions. Yeah. Um, but I think Rhyme of the Frost Maiden was fifty episodes, and then um, Witchlight was thirty six. And we actually play Strixhaven when somebody misses. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> because, nice. Uh, the DM for that one, he's like never missed a game this whole three years. Um, so yeah, we have one person out. We just run Strixhaven, have a reason for them not to be there, and then once they're back, we'll jump into the other campaign. So it's been a it's been a fun like stop gap campaign for us well you guys have a unique situation too because you're you're obviously putting on youtube right so you kind of have to keep the show going to an extent um whereas for us it's like you know somebody doesn't show and it's a character that everybody likes well who cares because it's in my dining room right so it's a little different (laughs) uh but uh ryan you know i before we kind of go into and i'm gonna throw a, a random wrench topic here in a second but um so i guess i'll, I'll start that out so something that your players have done that just really screwed up your plans. And I always think back to Ryan, you were telling me that I think it was in your hex files campaign where you had like this crazy, like end boss battle of a mummy or something. And the group took a, uh, a movable rod and placed it over the casket of like where the mummy was laid to rest and threw in a bead of fireball. Into yeah. The thing and yeah. Just... <laughs> they, they had beads of fireball <laughs> and I had this like whole thing and they just were like, Oh, a sarcophagus, huh? Well, we'll just, throw all the beads of fireball in there and just lock the casket closed and they just blew him up. I was like, well, I mean, that's D&D for you. <laughs> so Coulter, have you had anything that like, I guess in what you've run where you had like this whole big grand plan as to what was going to happen and the players just kind of blew it up? So one of the things with like with our group with YouTube that I try to do is make sure that we kind of go through everything in a campaign pretty similarly to how it's written, Uh, because I think a lot of times people are watching it because either they are DMs getting ready to run it. So they want to kind of get a feel for what it's going to be like for them. Um, So we try not to like veer off from the book too hard. So we were in Wild Beyond the Witchlight in the last realm that you go into, which is the Archfey's Palace. um, We barely gotten through any of the uh, kind of like exploration period and they jumped past oh, i think you know they're in in dnd they're numbered rooms so you have you know one through whatever yeah they jumped from room like 11 to room 50 uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole mechanic in that place spoilers for anybody that's watching that's planning on uh playing in it um where you have to bring this crown of thorns between two gorgons to unlock doors. So there's a lot of returning to them to get another door unlocked to go back to another place. They found a book, which is actually there, where if you write your name in it, it unlocks every door for you. So they took out that entire mechanic by accident uh, and then figured out um, that the cauldron was the key to everything. Hadn't explored half of the palace and were like, okay, we're just going to get rid of the cauldron. We think we have a plan to do it. And destroyed (laughs) the cauldron. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, well, it's... That is how it's written. You can do that. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a long explanation of what they'd missed afterwards, just kind of give them an idea. But I think we'd lost probably like 
five episodes because they found those two shortcuts. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's quite, that's quite significant actually. Yeah. I mean, good on them for getting creative, but dang. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think for me with the, the whole Avernus thing, um, I had, God, I forget the enemy. It's because obviously you can go one path of demons, one path of devils. And they went down the path of devils. I think it was because you had a demons or spawning trees, the devils or another location. And so it was um, this like grotesque, like ancient being that had like a gnarly face and chained up and like basically bells, devils are trying to solicit information of it to find the rods uh, to be able to bring back, um, you know, the companion light. And so my, like I had this whole big thing tied to it, a whole big like battle is going to go with it and had multiple devils that were there and they just decided, well, we're just going to leave. We're just not going to talk to this guy. And I'm like, you do realize that like, this is a critical moment, right? Like you're not progressing from point A to point B unless you interact with this being like, no, we're good. So I had to like do some crazy mind takeover thing at the last minute to get them engaged with this enemy. And they're like, you're railroading. I'm like, no, I am putting you on the path to actually beat the campaign. So it, stuff like that happens all the time. Like, oh, we're, we're just, we don't want to do that. I'm like, no, you, you kind of have to. <laughs> that's, that's how it works in a, you know, linear type of story for a campaign book. You just can't say, I don't want to go here. Cause guess what? DM doesn't necessarily have what's, prepped to be able to go a different route right now even though there normally is kind of preparation involved for that not always (laughs) in that type of setting so cool uh all right so ryan you brought up like whiteboards and pictures and all these other crazy things and i remember when we first started playing um out of a very elaborate setup (laughs) you had a crazy crazy setup so we'll start with you on enhancing the game so what are things that you can do to make gameplay better so like I I'm a firm believer that when it comes to doing D&D, you know, it's it's accessible for every level from just literally pen and paper all the way up to you know a, those weird AR card things that they have that you could put on a table and see like a floating 3D model if you look through your phone or AR glasses or whatever. Like I don't know that that actually exists outside of Kickstarter yet, but I've seen it on the internet. So there's all kinds of different levels. And I think that like sometimes you need to just have enough of a tech level that you can grasp your hands around. So like I tried using all kinds of different things, but I like a whiteboard that I can draw on. I like uh, it being clear where everybody can see it. And I've got these magnetic push pins that are all different colors And I like using a lot more theater of the mind. I like just having, you know, pull out my iPad and here's a picture of the guy you guys are fighting. And then you just remember that. Because if I had to have a mini for every guy that looked exactly right, it would drive me crazy and I would be broke and I would have no closet space and just like it all compounds. So, you know, whatever level you can maintain without it distracting you from your job as the DM is really kind of the right level of enhancement to bring, I think. So I have a feeling I'm probably the lowest tech end on here because like I just, I keep all my notes in one note and I've got, you know, whatever book that I'm going to be using or books um, 
I got like a hand notebook that I'll like do a little bit of notating in. But other than that, it's like mostly just like showing a screen on the iPad. Um, I find some of those programs are fun for like soundscapes where you can like enter in and check mark off. I can't even remember what the uh, site I used to use was, but it had like, you know, here's a whole list of different sound effects and music notes and things for like a swamp setting. And you can like turn on the crickets and the crocodiles and the wind all separately. And uh, those things are fun, but if it's taking you too long to get going and it's distracting you from running, then it just, it's too much. So, so I've yeah. taken kind of a mixed media approach as of late. So when I first started DMing and uh, it was pre predominantly just like, you know, a colored, not whiteboard, but you know how you can roll out the maps and it's kind of that nice shiny, you know, and you just kind of draw on it. So I started with that and it was only that. And then each character, like each person had their own little mini and we kind of go from that respect. And that's how I ran pretty much all of Avernus. Um, I did have my notebook where I pretty much wrote out everything I was going to do in a session, all my notes, enemies kind of pre-rolled, all that stuff. Um, and since then, uh, or midway through the campaign, I started buying minis. So uh, I bought the entire Descent into Avernus set for minis. So I had that and it was, you know, mixed media in that respect. Uh, but for Strixhaven, I've obviously amped it up. Like Coulter, I see you have your TV built into your table behind you. Um, I've gone ahead and built a similar thing where I have the TV within like the box and I've got a 32 inch I'm running for that. And I have a laptop connected with Dynamic Dungeons on the back end, which I'm testing right now, which allows me to do Fog of War and build in dynamic settings uh, for certain maps. I've purchased the uh, Strixhaven, there's a Patreon right now that a guy has where he's kind of redid all the Strixhaven maps and colorized them and just made them into a decent size of grid lines. And so I purchased all of those. And while they don't have dynamic settings uh, via dynamic dungeons, I can plug in sound into said settings and then go ahead and put a fog of war over that for different areas. So it's already built in. But as I start thinking about things like uh, battle scenes, so if they happen to be in like a swamp area, I want to make sure that I have like a dynamic setting. So dynamic dungeons allows me to have, you know, ongoing video in the background with like waves crashing and the sound is associated to that uh, crickets and other things just kind of going on in the background. Uh, thunderstorms, all of that uh, lights flickering. I can plug in traps. And so when characters are moving through this fog of war and hit a trap, I can actually have that trap occur with sound and everything else tied to it. And so we have that kind of going on along with the minis uh, that are being created as well or being used as well. So uh, really kind of taking instead of that larger 3D environment that like people see on Critical Role, that's way too expensive. This is definitely a cheaper alternative in my mind to kind of get you into the game. The fog of war, I think, is the most important aspect for any D&D campaign, um, yeah. you know, especially now with the technology we have. I, I, I like the whole map idea and drawing it out, but there's only so much you can do without having to stop in the middle of a session and kind of say, okay, cool. Like you've walked into this area. Let me draw a little more of a map. Let me draw a little more of a map. Oh, you can go left or right. But now I have to like, honestly create lines showing the multiple pathways. And it's just a pain. Like why not just have fog of war? The characters can move around. You expose X amount of grid space. Oh, there's a door. Okay, cool. We'll enter through. And they may not see that there's a door in like this opposite side. Cause it's completely black to them. So 
that's really the approach I've taken and will take uh, moving forward. And uh, I think it's the right move. How about yourself? I, I love that. I actually have not worked with dynamic dungeons before, and this is like a big inspiration to go and look <laughs> into this more. Um, we kind of at a similar basis from the get go of this, we've been using Roll20. Uh, we were trying to figure out kind of the best way to show things on screen so that if you're watching, it, you could kind of know what was going on. So we experimented with cameras above hand, looking down at the table with minis because we were all big into minis um, and realized there was just not really a way to show it clearly. Um, so we switched to streaming the screen to the recording. Um, so yeah, I create tokens for each of the players based on the character artwork that they provide. Um, usually we use the provided ones from Roll20 as far as what Wizards of the Coast has put out, uh, just because they do such a great job building the Fog of War in and building um, sight lanes in. Uh, and I love that added feature of having it be yeah, what your character can see, what your dark vision is, what the angles are. Um, but also hopped into Patreon a bunch. Uh, because in all of these campaigns, Wizards of the Coast does a great job with the maps and the artwork that you get. Um, but there's just a lot of scenes that I was thinking like, this is going to have combat in it, or this is going to have something they're going to want to see. And it's just not there. Um, so Patreon uh, got, uh, I got a whole pack for Wild Beyond the Witchlight um, that basically had every single scene in the entirety of the book as a map. Um, so that was super helpful to just be able to input whenever needed. Um, kind of similar with Candlekeep Mysteries, we're rotating 3DMs for that one. So they're all using Roll20 and they're mostly using Patreon or other outside resources to pull in additional maps because those ones being meant to just be two to three sessions um, don't have a lot of filler in them to use in those ways. Uh, I think one of the other fun things about that is with handouts um, is being able to put them onto the screen so that everybody really can get the full view and you're not passing something around. I do kind of want to do more like physical handouts for my next campaign uh, just because they're fun. Uh, yeah. But it is, it's so helpful to have that and have it be that like the audience can also then see what they're seeing. Yeah. But I love yeah, like the sound elements. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, dude. The sound elements are fantastic. Now, yeah. um, you know, I'll tell you at Dynamic Dungeons, you need to make sure your laptop is pretty decent in terms of power. So like we're using my wife's laptop and it's a little older. I just had to upgrade to RAM. Uh, Dynamic Dungeons uses like four gigabytes <laughs> and her RAM was just one four gigabyte card for some reason. So I'm like, we're going to put 16 in there now and make that run a little more. Um, video card, it, it can use a pretty bare minimum video card, but it does have its issues at first. Uh, so once it's loaded, though, I haven't had any issues. Um, you know, they have the guy that does dynamic dungeons actually has a patron of like hundreds of maps that are pre-created hundreds. And I mean, he has different versions. He has PDF stills. He has some that have grid lines, some that don't. He has, um, uh, MP4 versions. And then he has what's called a web PM, I think is what it's called or web M format. And that's what I use because it's minimal, uh, um, megabytes for that file. So I found that I can't run MP4s for some reason on that laptop. It's just not strong enough. But if I take the audio that's on the MP4 and I convert it to an MP3, I can get whatever the sound effects are. I can automatically put that via like you can essentially add icons for sound in various areas and adjust the, the volume of the sound in that respective area and turn it on and off as needed. Um, so that's I do funny. is I find a web M video. I plug that in it's super low kilobyte. It runs on repeat. And then I go ahead and put in the audio clip that's converted from the MP4, and that also runs on repeat. If you want to plug in anything like music, you can obviously run an MP3 in the background that's on continuous loop. 
Um, I personally like to use a, a Bluetooth speaker and run audio off my phone for music. So if there's any battle music, I have YouTube music and I just cool hour and a half long battle music. And it just runs while you have like the TV expelling certain sounds, but I minimize the volume on that. So that way the battle music kind of takes the focus. And we, uh, we did a battle Royale recently tested it out. The cool thing with dynamic dungeons that I found also that you might like is say, for example, you have a multi-level area and the map that you have is multi-level. You can actually, there's a quick setting button within dynamic dungeons where say your scene that you're running has, you know, floor one, two, and three, and you have characters say, we're going to split the party. I'm going to go explore. You can actually follow that character within the different scenes by just doing a quick setting and you go, okay, cool. Square one is floor two, one square two two is floor two square three is floor three and when it's that character's turn you say all right we're back on this square or this location here's the fog of war for your specific area once we're done with you we're going to go back to the other one which has its sound and everything built in automatically when you flip over scenes and the rest of the group has their entire area and what's occurring on screen so you don't really have to minis will stay on the tv obviously Mm -hmm. but it allows for that character to like continue moving and you're like okay cool i'll ignore him or her while we're playing on these other you know pieces of a map like that mini is just kind of staying there but the rest of the group knows okay cool like this is our scene this is what's happening and yeah. it worked very well for what we did we had one character decide he was going to run into a basement level and it was just quick to say all right cool we're back in the basement what's happening what's That's happening cool. with your battle and your one-on-one fights so it's a lot yeah. of fun. I think you'd like it. And obviously, uh, because you could stream it onto another screen. So since you're doing it via laptop, you could theoretically uh, stream it via, you know, the second screen, essentially. Um, so it, yeah. it'd be automatic in that respect. Um, and you don't have to have minis. It actually has built into the program. You can do like little uh, circles for headshots. And that can be the minis that move on screen, along with enemies and traps and other things built in. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah definitely a way to enhance the game. Our, uh, our computer that's running this TV is is very weak, so I'll have to experiment with that. Uh, yeah. But that sounds like that would be super enhancing. And I, I mean, I love that you can trigger audio elements to locations. Like, that is, that's, yeah. that's yeah. a lot of fun. We, we use a stream deck for a lot of stuff, but I feel like that would kind of sync well together, especially yeah. with getting some of the lighting effects. And uh, the program, I think, is on Steam. Okay. So just heads up on there. So it would nice. run through Steam. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, we talked a little bit about Patreon. Let's talk about resources. So what have you found to be most helpful in prep and then also just creating your own characters? Like what kind of drives the inspiration and culture will kick it off to you first this time? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so as far as I guess maybe I'm not a good example of a well-prepared player. Uh, <laughs> I prepare a lot more as a, as a DM um, and kind of making sure that I have everything read, all of my notes taken. Um, I use uh, the uh, the Lazy Dungeon Masters uh, note, uh, notation.io, I think is what the website's called, um, to keep notes and keep track of all the players. And it gives you a good, like, quick resource sheet to know what um, stats they have so you don't have to keep asking people if something works or doesn't work. Um, as well as keeping like session notes, because I think we talked a little bit earlier about those times when you prepare so much and then the choice just goes in a totally different direction. Um, So making sure that I have like just an outline so that if they break something, I'm not too far out of where I'm supposed to be. Um, As far as actually creating a a character though, uh, I usually start with a concept. Um, If we know what kind of thing we're going into, I just get like a single line that it's like this person is this thing. Um, So for 
our very first campaign that we did on the stream, it was a, a, a homebrew campaign. And I was listening to everybody else start to talk about their backstories. And we got into that classic tragic character backstory. Um, so the way that I built that character was he doesn't have a tragic backstory. And then I built everything else around him not having a tragic backstory, having a loving family. Parents, you know, had a great relationship, were very supportive, uh, ran a magic shop. Nobody was ever in danger or trouble in his whole life. Um, and, you know, had that as the basis for him becoming the wizard that he was going to become, um, which then, of course, gave the DM fuel to destroy all of that. So it worked out uh, worked out great for both of us. Um, but yeah, usually I start with a kind of a, a single phrase to describe the the person and go from there. Gotcha. So for me, um, I like to do a lot of collaboration with the DM. So whenever I'm, I'm playing in a campaign, it's collaborate with the DM and just kind of say, look, here's the idea that I have for this character. But you're obviously building the world. You kind of have an idea on what you want our characters to experience. What can we do with my character to to make this, you know, worthwhile for both me and other players. So um, one of the things that I've done recently, we, we have a homebrew campaign that's kind of on hold because we're playing Witchlight. And I've had I've gone through two characters in that campaign. Now I'm entering on my third, one of which uh, was a drunken monk who destroyed a tavern, got arrested and recently broke out of prison. So I have a choice to go back to him. I ran a dwarf barbarian with a giant hammer uh, that was kind of like embedded with the power of Thor essentially. And uh, you know, she kind of went her own way, but I can revisit at some point at any point. And now I'm currently developing a turtle uh, who is a monk and has a pet. Uh, God, what is it? Some sort of like, um, God, what are they called? They eat shells and they swim in the water and they're like furry. Otter? Otter. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Such a space cadet on that, man. Yeah. He has a river otter as a pet and the river otter is continually trying to run away from him, but he's got it on a chain and keeps grabbing at it. So like, oh, this river otter loves me so much. So like trying to have like this quirky character in there and it's a turtle that can't swim, uh, basically. So, <laughs> uh, so we're entering water deep and it was like, okay, can you think of something like, John, you don't have a character. Can you think of something that um, is going to really enhance the gameplay? And, and that's really what it kind of came down to is like, let's make a fun character who just like sticks with the group uh is he can't swim even though he's in water deep and you know just a whole bunch of crazy stuff like that so working to dm closely and then with my players um i try to have a concept you know at first like so if avernus it was specifically the dark secret and really kind of took in that dark secret to say what is something that like you want your character background to be and then in working with all those characters and working with every single player deciding, okay, here's my overall arc and how I want to handle this. And it's going to be my theme throughout the campaign. So every single character actually had some sort of tie in personally that they didn't know, but I was able to kind of integrate that together and, and like kind of um, tied lines together um, based on their background. So I had like one character who uh, was in league with um, uh, what is it? Uh, like her parents apparently had died, but they were actually slave traders and like sold her off or tried to kill her and manipulated her after they had died as like demons because they were tied to Yanagu to um, to essentially like kill her parental figure. And that took her down a path of darkness. Well, those same slave traders actually dealt as a slave. One of my other characters um, that was in the campaign, they didn't know until later on that there was that sink. Um, another character who, and the theme was slavery in this one, obviously in Avernus, uh, another one that was actually sold into slavery as like a high end figure within the Feywild. And she was thrown into Avernus with like a collar and everything else. 
and then another guy who uh, killed his brother. And there was a link between him and the rest of the characters because that same devil actually helped to manipulate other characters in the campaign. So really just kind of making sure that all of my players were happy with the dark direction that they were going to go in that background and then finding a way to merge it. So that way there was kind of that heartfelt ending for them. Yeah. And when we finished the campaign, it was just like shock and awe for like multiple people of like what the hell just happened. And uh, I think my favorite was my wife's reaction when uh, it was revealed to her that uh, her parents actually um, not only like they weren't actually in fact slave traders at first, they were manipulated by Yanagu and uh, that's what they became. And so they, we had this whole thing of like their ghosts passed through her and she saw all these crazy memories of like her family and all these things that they wanted to do. And it was like tearful moments. I'm like, that's exactly what I was going for, like to end this campaign. And, um, you know, I think development wise, that's where I always kind of stick it for for characters. Um, and in general prep, kind of similar to you, I, I like to take plenty of notes and just kind of have that preset. Reading a campaign in advance is very mm -hmm. helpful. And then obviously kind of going chapter by chapter after that to kind of dictate what you want to do. Ryan. Uh, so if I'm making a character for me, Usually I start on Pinterest and I find like a picture that I fall in love with and I'm like, all right, this is the character. I could see, you know, their personality. I can see their class. I can see a lot of things about them in what this artist did. And that's what I want to kind of try to channel through. Or sometimes I'll start with like maybe an inspiration for like, I don't know, the personality that I want to copy. Like I had this uh, cleric and I tried to do like, uh, like a Warburton, Patrick Warburton, you know, from, from uh, Emperor's New Groove, you know, Cusco, the poison. <laughs> so I tried to do like that kind of character and like, I mean, it, that's just where I started. And then I was like, okay, where's kind of like a big dumb looking cleric guy that I can <laughs> go with this voice and um so yeah i i don't usually start with like the backstory or something i need something to kind of like inform me as a jumping off point and then i get excited about it and then i start to kind of build around there um another thing that i did though for my characters in the last campaign that i was running i had this like weird old deck of cards and like all the card pictures on them were like pretty unique and different. And so I made each of those cards, like a different, like trait of some kind. And I made everybody draw however many traits they wanted. And those became like extra things for their characters. And some of them were like, you know, pretty surface level. And some of them were like a little bit like, you know, you've got like the, the anger of a dragon or something for some reason. And it's just like, give them something random to build into their backstory. And I think I kind of like that as kind of an offshoot of like the flaws kind of system that they try to give you, you know, like I like the idea that when you're making your character, there's still some sense of randomness or something that like, you can introduce to the player to be like, I know this is your character and I'm not saying it's not, but what if this happened to them in their uncontrolled life and you have to deal with that? So 
I think that, you know, working with the DM in that way and maybe having some kind of extra something on top of an idea you already love is kind of a good way to get, you know, something unique and something that maybe neither of you had really wholly bargained for, but will play out well. So that's kind of something that I think about. This, it kind of reminds me, well, something that we've started doing um, more recently uh, that we kind of borrowed from World of Darkness. And I think that's one of the fun things about like playing across multiple systems is you can kind of pull things you like from other ones into D&D or into, you know, from D&D into Starfinder, things like that, is this idea of breaking points. Um, it, kind of what would push this character over the edge. Uh, and in World of Darkness, there is a whole mechanic around it where, um, you know, hitting one of your breaking points, it's going to... Uh, place uh, a negative on the character they're going to have a, a penalty to dice rolls um and then they get experience from resolving it uh and that's something that we talked about with uh with D was with these characters what is that breaking point what is the thing that would push them over the edge or would cause um a, a shift in in their whole paradigm um but yeah i love i love like you said about flaws giving something for them to not be perfect for them to get something that's more depth built into this hero you know that's a question i have for you right now as far as breaking points and characters so like my group um both in dming and playing with them i don't know that they necessarily like to skew away from which is interesting like i you know i like to see my character develop over time and you know sometimes yeah i might get deep into shenanigans with stuff with my characters but there are points in time where i do think it's necessary like you know this particular enemy may have done something to harm, you know, the group and other characters and your character should be allowed to kind of have that breaking point and go crazy and want to kill and want to have revenge and all these other things without the like negativity tied to it of like, Oh, well now you're chaotic neutral or now you're like lawful evil or something like that. Like you should yeah. have those like emotional aspects. And sometimes I do kind of, you know, not question the rest of the people in my group, but you know, wonder if there's opportunity for us as players to just kind of really rethink that and say, you know what, like if I was in this setting, what would my feelings be? And can I get pushed to that next level without those negative tie-ins from a DM? And, uh, you know, I think that's also just part of working with your DM directly and saying, look, this is yeah. kind of what my character's thinking and how I want to progress the story. But I want to make sure that like you kind of help me um, with the rest of the group. So that way they don't feel like left out, like, Oh, well, John's gone crazy again. He's gone and killed like four random people. I'm like, no, it should, there should be some sort of like relationship kind of developed there with your character. And, and obviously a DM's understanding. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that's definitely a place where you're trying to build trust amongst the players. Um, because when we've had it happen with different, you know, characters within a story, a lot of times it's not the DM that's coming to, to pull them back it's another player that's stepping in to try and figure out why this happened yeah. um, and like using that as a point to either weaken the relationship and create a conflict between those two characters or using it as a point to build it stronger as you know they help each other recover and help each other through whatever the thing was that that created the negativity yeah yep i agree all right. Well, definitely a great discussion. We'll have to have you on again at some point, just not with me spending a bunch of money on games. Um, <laughs> uh, but definitely enjoyed the conversation. Um, you know, if you could, you know, culture tell us again, you know, a little bit about Mighty Misfit Menagerie, uh, where we can find you, et cetera. 
Totally. Um, we are a TTRPG actual play uh, YouTube show and podcast. You can find us on uh, YouTube, on any of the podcasting apps, whether it be Apple, Spotify, uh, Microsoft, etc. at Mighty Misfit Menagerie or on socials at at Mighty MMcast. <laughs> And we won't drown the people with where they can hear us because they hear it every single week. <laughs> but of course, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and then a podcast after listen to now, as well as the game of uh, But all that being said, thanks Coulter again for coming on. Appreciate having you. Yeah. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been episode 210 of the game of flavors podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.